Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Alright, uh, our Bible reading today is from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. Uh, there are Bibles in the aisle for anyone who's visiting or anyone who doesn't have their own Bible, and you can take that home today as a gift from us. Uh, feel free. So Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Adam. Um, good morning, everyone. Still morning. My name's Lachlan Fryer. I'm one of the deacons here at Follow. Um, it's my privilege and, and uh, honour to be, I guess, a guest speaker here this morning. Um, talking out of the series that we've been uh, going through, coming into Easter, um, where in Luke it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to continue along with that theme today, with Jesus' life. Um, but I think I can just come up here and say amen to the, the last hour that we've shared. I love baptism sermons, and they're always going to steal the, uh, the limelight from the preacher because there's nothing better than a testimony of, life cha- of what Jesus does in people's lives and how they change them. So um, I, what I love about baptisms, though, is um, it, it is a declaration of our faith. It's something that we get to celebrate together as a family. Um, the greater family of God, we're just so excited about the transformation that's happened in these people's lives, but as Luke referred to or alluded to, it is like a wedding where these people have met Jesus before, they fell in love with Jesus, and today they're publicly declaring that faith. But my prayer, and I hope your prayer as well, is that they will continue their relationship with God and continue to grow with Him and in Him, and their lives will continue to be changed. And, And this celebration is us declaring as well that we're going to share in that with them. So um, it does remind me of a, of a story that I heard from Paul Peterson. <clears throat> he tells the, uh, the story of this wealthy businessman. He was horrified when he was walking along a dock. He saw a fisherman sitting by his boat playing with a young child. The business, business, businessman said, why aren't, you, why aren't you out fishing? He said, I've caught enough fish for today. I'm, I'm fine. There's a few fish in there. And the businessman said, why don't you catch some more? He said, well, what would I do with those extra fish? And the businessman goes, well, you could earn some more money. And then with the extra money, you can buy a bigger boat, you could go into deeper waters, you could catch more fish. And then with those more fish, you could have enough money to buy nylon nets. With the nets, you can catch more fish, more money. 
And with that money, you can own two boats, maybe three boats. You can have a whole fleet of boats. You can be rich, just like me. And the fisherman says, well, then what do I do? And the businessman said, then you could really enjoy life. The fisherman looked at his boat. He looked out onto the water. He looked down at the child. And he looks quizzically at this businessman and says, what do you think I'm doing right now? And that's the life that Jesus has transformed in these people. It's the same life. It doesn't have to be bells and whistles. It doesn't have to be anything special. Um, Baptism is dying to the self-centered endeavors uh, and our eyes being opened to a new life, which was already there, being marked by grace and love. That's my little sermonette on baptism. (laughs) But today, I promise we will keep it snappy. I've got 20 minutes. I'm already a few in. Um, it's been a really big morning, but we're going to continue our series um, on, uh, on Jesus' words. It was in John 14, 6, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and this week, the life. And today's reading comes from Ephesians. Paul is writing to a church that he helped. Uh, he helped start, and he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to pray for them, to give them instructions about how to live. But mostly what Paul's trying to do is help shape their identity in Christ. In the first half of Ephesians, up to about chapter 4, it talks about our identity in the family of God because of what Christ has done. And the second half covers how we should live in light of this new identity, sort of like an instruction manual, which is really tempting to skip straight to, sort of like skipping to the back of a book to find out the ending. And it's 2018, we don't read books anymore, is it? It's like, uh, it's like TV shows, spoilers on Facebook. You want to avoid them, but it's very tempting. But we're going to look at the earlier part of Ephesians today, chapter 2, which reminds us what Christ has done and the amazing gift that is. And it's just about two things today that I want you to remember. Sin is death and Jesus is life. So let's begin. Ephesians 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It's not a physical death. It's the death of our souls. It's the state of sin, of conformity to the world. And we find ourselves cut off from God, from our creator, our king, our closest friend. And in the Bible, there are many other different words that they use to describe this affliction of an unsaved person. 2 Corinthians says we're blind. Romans 6 says we're slave to sin. John 3 says we're lovers of darkness. Mark says we're sick, Luke says we're lost, and Colossians it's described as being under the power of darkness. So, but in the same way that hair is dead but continues to grow, which I've worked out the scientific explanation, but you can ask me after how that works, we are alive, of course, but we're also dead. And the best picture I could think of to describe this is that we're all just like zombies. I'm not much of a fan of the zombie genre, I've got to admit, in movies or TV, but you all know a zombie when you see one. It's that kind of, oh, brains, you know. <laughs> so dead in your transgressions and sins. This deadness, we're like zombies. It's not a punishment for the actions we take. It's the nature of the sin and what it does to our soul. It deadens our spiritual sensibilities, and each time we do sin... We grow numb or comfortable with the pain caused or the consequences. I'm not one to, I'm not an expert on morality. I'm a sinner just like you guys. But um, 
the more we erode in this sinful behaviour, the less we enjoy life. And the less joy we have, the more prone we are to filling these holes with our own needs. So we work harder. We watch more zombie TV shows on Netflix, more Facebook, more porn, more alcohol. But even a lifetime supply of Snickers, it's never going to satisfy. <laughs> Sorry, Snickers. I lost my sponsorship. <laughs> and I don't know about you. This is me personally. But I've never met a joyful zombie. A whistle while your work kind of gal strutting down the street looking for the next brain. It's not what, not what I've seen. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2 that we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, and he's become the sinner's master. And that word for disobedience comes from the Greek apetheia, which means more than just doing the wrong thing. It means more than just refusing to follow commands or agreeing to act a certain way. It actually means unteachable, obstinate, but basically stubborn. And how often do we find ourselves reasoning with our own sin, justifying it, and then on the other side, even ridiculing others' good deeds or kind hearts? I don't know about you. But I've never been able to talk sense into a zombie and reason them into not doing zombie things or being able to say, just stop being a zombie and be a normal human being, like the rest of us. Can't talk them out of it. Verse 3 says, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We were by nature deserving of the wrath. And Paul uses this word, cravings of the flesh, our sinful nature, it's a bottomless pit of impulses that will never be satisfied. You know, if we're slaves to our desires, then we're slaves to ourselves. And the world begins to revolve around us. We become irritable and that negativity infects others. And before you know it, we've got a sinful, apocalyptic, zombie-like infestation on our hands. These cravings, I don't know about you, but I've never met a zombie who finishes their meal, pushes their plate away, pats the napkin on their face, says that was terrific, I couldn't fit another morsel in, up to the mantle. Dessert menu. I'll have a look at the dessert menu, that's fine. But you get the zombie picture, I think. That's enough of that. Paul's referring to a death. It doesn't change our functioning as a human being, but it means we're separated from God. Ray Gunton um, otherwise known as J.B. Jovi, <laughs> brought us the message last week, and I recommend you check it out on, um, on the website or podcast if you missed it. But he said something that really resonated with me, which I wanted to bring testimony to. He said that God has no grandchildren. He was talking to those who have grown up in the church, in a Christian family, under a Christian roof, and can't remember a time without God in their lives which was me. I grew up in this sort of environment, which is really, really cool in many ways. What a blessing to, to know God that way your whole life and experience him and be exposed to his truths. But I went to church out of obligation. As I grew up, I was involved in ministry at a very young age, at primary school age, and I did the youth leader thing and Bible college, and it was like I was climbing this ladder to heaven. But a lot of the time, being around some of my Christian mentors and other, other followers, 
It felt like an uncomfortable family reunion. I felt like I was a grandchild or a second cousin. I, I didn't quite fit in. I didn't feel like I fit in. And under my shiny Christian shell, I was a zombie. So I got to a point in my life where I got sick of the rallies, the rallies, the family rules um, that everyone else outside of the Christian family seemed to be ignoring and having a lot more fun than me and freedom. So I joined up. I joined them. I embraced sin. And that cut me off from God. I was dead. I became a bit of a bad boy with the partying and the dumb and destructive things you do in those environments. I'd come home, this is very embarrassing, I'd come home on a Sunday morning just before the sun rose, late Saturday night, bloodstream saturated with all sorts of poisons. I'd grab an hour's sleep, I'd hurl up the previous night's debauchery and I'd head to church and I'd play in the band and I'd read the, song, read the prayers and sing the songs. But I was acting up, I was acting up because I didn't think anyone would care. I, and I had no care for consequences, and I didn't feel love, real love. This went on for quite a few years um, into my early mid-20s, and I continued to drift and separate myself from my church family. And six years ago, I ran into a wall when there was a time in my life I voluntarily gave up a career which wasn't doing me any favours. I found myself very unemployed with no plans, single, broke, unhealthy, and depressed. And one afternoon I woke up, that's when my days started back then, I rolled off my mattress on the floor, out of my dirty sheets onto the dusty floor, and with a, a teeth full of old carpet, I sobbed and heaved and yelled and cried into the ground. I couldn't fuel the void myself. Doing it my way had led me on a path to death. I'd become rotten from the inside and had become overwhelmingly too much. And then and there, I prayed. I said, God, I can't do this anymore. It's your way or I don't know what way. I truly handed my life back to God. I've been saved as a kid, baptised as a teenager, but that's just what you do when you're part of a family. But now at this moment, I was in his family and I was his son. I now had a relationship with God I wasn't his cousin or his nephew or his grandson. I was his child who he loved. I knew he was with me and my response was surrender. This was a miraculous act, a new life in Christ, a zombie restored from death to life. Galatians 2.20, as I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I think that's enough about death. Let's talk about life. Verse 4 to 5 of today's passage. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, because it's by grace you've been saved. And what I love here is it doesn't say, because you're on four rosses at church, you put in 11% of your income into the offering plate, you never smoke, you never drank, you never swore, you never barracked for St Kilda, <laughs> you've been made alive in Christ. This is not how it is. It's grace. This is a gift. And Philip Yancey, if you've seen him, um, you'd recognise him. He goes to the same barber as our friend Jerome. <laughs> He's the author of... A famous book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and he sums up this gift 
by saying grace does not depend on what we've done for God, but rather what God has done for us. If you ask people what they must do to get to heaven, most reply, be good. But Jesus' stories contradict that answer, and the testimonies of today contradict that that answer. All we do is cry help and accept Jesus. It's because of his great love for us, in spite of who we are. His love outweighs anything we can do. He left heaven. He became us. He allowed himself to be murdered in the most excruciating way imaginable in order to save the very people who yelled for his crucifixion, the ones that signed the orders, who carried the whip, the hammer, who spat and ridiculed and mocked him as he died, and that's me as well. Verse 8 from our text, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Bible commentator Tim Shenton gives a great picture of these good works. Because Paul's talking about this and he explains that they are just as important as our faith. There was a Scotsman who rowed across a river. On one oar, he had carved the word faith. On the other oar, he'd carved the word works. One day he was rowing. Some of the passengers noticed the carvings and asked about them. The Scotsman did not reply but he just pulled on the oar marked works and he started to row with one oar and the boat went round and round in circles. He wasn't going anywhere. Then he pulled on the oar marked faith. I'm probably going backwards here. And he started to row on the oar that said faith and he was going round and round in circles. He wasn't going anywhere, this time in the other direction. Then he rowed with both oars and he reached the other bank safely. Before his passenger got off the boat, he said, This is the Scotsman said, a Christian must row his life using both oars, faith and works. Only then will he reach heaven's shore. And Galatians says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Matthew 28, when the disciples see the resurrected Jesus for the first time, he gives them the best instructions I've ever heard to put in the works column, to put on the works paddle. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. I'm going to close now. I told you I'd be quick. I want to tell you a story of two zombies. <laughs> wasn't finished with the zombies. Well, maybe on the inside they were zombies, but on the outside they were criminals. There's two guys, they were hanging next to Jesus at his crucifixion. And one, on one side, this side, that side, one said he spent his last breaths mocking Jesus. He said, come on, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. The man on the other side, he yells across at him and saying, hey man, don't you fear God? We're punished justly. We should be hanging here. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And Jesus right now, he's... At the end, he's in the final minutes of this ultimate physical and mental brutality that he's born. And he hears the robber say to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus doesn't hesitate. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. What a summary of Jesus' life, his whole life, just in those last moments. The epitome of understanding, of acceptance, of love, of compassion and strength through adversity. 
Because in John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. See, both these criminals were expiring. We're all expiring. We, we fit this, this category, even if he dies. We know we're going to die. But the one who sees Jesus and follows his way, believes his truth, and accepts his sacrifice, re- receives real life. And let's think about this, church. This repentant criminal, did he have any chance to really live for God? Depending on his age, the guy probably took about a million breaths in his life and maybe his last 50 were in the knowledge and peace of salvation. He was on the doorstep to hell and he repented and Jesus gave him life. And that's okay because that's the whole point. As we strive to live out for him, out of response for his love, let's remember there is no life without Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come to you as broken people. Sin has crippled us and separated us from you. Today, we accept your gift of life. We acknowledge that without you, there is no life, because only you can free us from death. Jesus, we thank you for doing this by becoming human and sacrificing your life so that we don't have to. Our response is only to say yes, to say thank you, to follow in your ways, to believe your truth, and to live your life. Amen.